Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Fanae Power. Father God in heaven, Lord, we just want to thank you, Father, this morning that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. We ask, Father, that in a mighty way that you may speak to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, you know each and every one of us have come in here with, with broken hearts. Uh, many of us come with questions, Father, and we just pray that as we open your word that you may give us the answer, which is Jesus. We pray that you may free us from every distraction, that you may surround us with a host of holy angels, and that, Father, when we leave here, that we may leave here transformed. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to serve you. Be with us now as we study your word. This is our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' precious and most holy name. Amen. I want to begin with a story. Um, I once was uh, visiting a man in hospital, and uh, this man uh, I never met before. Uh, and he was in a, a critical condition, and I went there, and I, I was actually, I was going there to, to play for him because he liked to play the guitar. <laughs> and uh, he would love to play the guitar, so I took the guitar to play for him, eventually he was sleeping, we came back later, he was uh, still sleeping, so I came back the next day, and I, I came and, and met him, and as I came to him, I started just to play, play the guitar for him. And as I was playing the guitar for him, you know, the nurses were there as well in the room, and I was playing some hymns, you know, like, what a friend we have in Jesus. They didn't know the songs, but I was, as I was playing, they're like, that's so beautiful, that's so nice. And, you know, I, 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 I was sitting there, I was like, man, they don't know it's hymns, but I'm playing it, and, and it just shows you the impact of music. That song is a weapon that we can always use against discouragement. And so as I was playing, eventually I got to speak with this man and um, he, he began to tell me why he was in the hospital because I didn't know why he was there. And so uh, he told me that um, while he was at home, he was sitting on his chair and he had a stroke and he fell down on the ground and uh, as he was on the ground, because he couldn't go to the restroom, um, he, he urinated on the ground and he lay in his urine for two days, and I was, and 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 as he was taken back to the hospital, they actually had to, to graft off some of his skin off his back because uh, there is this element within urine. You know, ninety five percent of it is is water, and then five percent of it is um, these nitrogenous substances, these waste products. Uh, I believe it's the uric acid, and uh, they had to cut off his skin. And he, as he was telling me this, he, he's like, um, "Yeah, eventually the the police came, knocked on the door. They couldn't get in. Um, eventually, the fire brigade came in, and they they were able to break open the door and take him to hospital. And so that's when I first initially met him." Um, and he was in a critical condition, and uh, we, we just began to talk, and eventually I, I, I left him, and I wasn't able to come and visit him until five weeks later. And so when I came back five weeks later to, to come and visit him, uh, he, uh, as I met him, uh, he, he told me, um, like, where have you been? <laughs> and I said, I, I heard you, uh, you were not well, and you couldn't take any patients, I mean, any visitors. And so I came again to him, and um, as I began to sit with him and talk with him once again, he, he told me that... Um, since the last time I saw him, he had five heart attacks, five strokes, and he got COVID twice. And so once he told me that, I was sitting there, I was like, wow, what is this guy still doing alive in my head? And he looked at me and he said, I don't know why I'm still alive. 
And, and, and I looked at him and I said, I know why you're alive. And he said, why is that? And I said, because Jesus loves you. Amen. Because God has a plan for your life. And he looked back at me and he kind of just kind of disregarded it. And then eventually he changed the topic and he talked about, you know, the, these nine predictions in 2023 about how there'll be civil war in, in America and how, you know, the Catholic Church will have a new, new pope and how Russia's president, he'll eventually die and talking about climate change in the world. And he was telling me about all these predictions in 2023. And then I turned around and said, you know what? Um, the, the Bible talks about predictions as well. It has prophecy in there as well. And uh, I started to take him through Daniel chapter 2 and I... I was going through the, the image about the head of gold and the, be, the, the chest and arms of silver and the belly and thighs of brass and the legs of iron. And when I got to the feet, he said, and the feet is iron and clay. And I looked at him and said, oh, so you know. And he said, yes, I do. I used to go to Sabbath school. Oh. So then I realized that he, he used to go to church when he was young. His mother used to always take him to Sabbath school, um, take him to, you know, create a role and eventually went through it all. And then eventually along the path, he, he went his own way. Um, and it seemed like God was trying to get his attention. And so eventually as I was speaking with him, um, he told me that, you know, I, I know, I know the time that we're living in, that we're living in the tippy toes of earth's history. But he said, I just, I don't believe it. And so he says, I know it's in my head, but it's not in my heart. And so I told him, look, what is it, what's, what's stopping it from getting from your head to your heart? And he said, that's a good question. And he, he began to go through all these, these, um, these arguments of, you know, about how, you know, if there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? You know, Jesus, you know, my mom told me that he would come when I was 10 years old, but he's still not here. And he had all these big arguments, and I was trying my best to... To, to, to tactfully give an answer to him. And I, I recognize that, um, you know, we're told in inspiration that our faith ought to rest upon evidence and not upon demonstration. Uh, what that means is what she is trying to say in the book Steps to Christ is that um, our faith is to rest upon personal experience rather than showing them all these facts and all these arguments is to get them to actually experience Jesus for themselves. Um, and so that's why the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And so I, I asked him, look, have you tasted Jesus? Because I've tasted him and he's good, you know. He's better than ice cream. Yes. <laughs> he's better than all those things. You know, Jesus is good. Um, and when you, when you taste Jesus, the thing is you just want to let other people know, right? And I recognized when I had that experience with him, I eventually left with him the Gospel of John, Angel. Um, I left with him the Gospel of John, and I, I left it with him to read. And, you know, all we can do is sow seeds. We can water it as well, but as the Bible says, God gives the increase. And it was out of that experience that, you know, it, it made me just ponder about life. Um, and this is how I get this title, that his hour had not yet come. That this man, he was questioning, you know, why am I doing still alive? It's because his hour had not yet come. And I want to study about this concept throughout the Bible. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we'll read verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. <clears throat> and when you get there, you can say amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's found in the Old Testament. You have Psalms, Proverbs, and then the book Ecclesiastes. His hour had not yet come. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. Okay, I, I guess you are there because no one said amen. 
Okay, okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and reading from verse 1. The Bible says, to everything there is a what? A season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So notice Solomon, one of the most wisest men to live. And it's interesting when you look at Solomon's life, you find that he's actually one of the most foolish men to live as well because he had so many wives, but at the same time, he made so many mistakes. But when he looked back on his life, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season. How many seasons do we have in our we have four, right? You have summer, winter, autumn, spring, right? Um, and you find that even in our lives as well, we go through seasons, you know? There may be some of us who are sitting here who actually never believed. And now we believe. We've gone through these seasons. For some of us, um, you go through seasons in your marriage as well. You know, there are times when it's bad, and then, you know, God reconciles, and he brings about a, a harmonious family, and then, you know, you have children, and then they have their families as well. We all go through these seasons in our life. But then it goes on to say that there is a time to every purpose under the heaven. And so notice that there's a connection between time and there's a purpose as well that's connected with it. And then Solomon goes on to actually explain this in verse 2. He says that there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. So you notice, according to the Bible, we find that there is a time to be born and a time to die. And so even when you look throughout the Word of God, you find that the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto man once to die, but then after this, the judgment. You see, each and every one of us, even as Christians, I believe that we, we, we have to answer this question as well because it's a reality, is that even though we are Christians, it does not make us immune to death, okay? So t temporal death is inevitable, but eternal death is optional. Okay, I'll say that again. Temporal death, it's inevitable. One day, each and every one of us who are sitting here, if Jesus doesn't come, which I believe he will, if he doesn't come, then eventually we will have to come face to face with death. And it, it made me just wonder and contemplate upon my life as well, you know, the, the way in which I'm living. How do, how do I live? Um, am I an influence to those around me? Because each and every one of us are called to be a light to the world. And so you find here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there is a time to be born and a time to die. Temporal death is inevitable, but the second death is optional. You can choose. <laughs> And so you find that there is a, you know, God has made us a provision so that we don't have to die the second death because Jesus takes our place. You know, when he's on the cross, it's so amazing. I don't know if you've ever taken time just to meditate upon the cross that when Jesus was on there, that's why he's just, he was going through so much agony on the cross because he was being separated from his father for the first time in eternity. Um, and that's why he cried out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that we would not be forsaken. That he took what we deserve so that we may be treated as he deserved. He became poor so that we may become rich. God is so good to us. And so the Bible tells us that there is a time to be born. There is a time to die. But in the Bible, you know, there's actually, from what, my, what I've studied, there's actually three ways in which you can die, okay? So I want to take us through this. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, so we learn from our first point that there is a time to be born, there is a time to die. But now I want to take us to John chapter 8, and I want to show you three ways according to the Bible that I've seen that an individual can die. One of them, uh, 
we cannot necessarily experience, but the other two we can. So John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the Jews. And as he's speaking to the Jews in John chapter 8, you find in John chapter 8 verse 21, notice what Jesus says to them. This is where the Jews were questioning whether Jesus was the Son of God. And in verse 21, John chapter 8, when you get there, you can say amen. Amen. Okay, and the Bible says in John 8, 21, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die, where? In your sins, whether I go, you cannot come. Notice verse 24 again. It says, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die where? In your sins. So one of the ways in which we can die is we can die in our sin. Now, I think it's important just to stop here and just to kind of just tease this out. Often when we think of sin, what is the answer that we usually go to when, I, when, when a preacher says, what is sin? What do we usually say? The transgression of the law, right? And so we take people to 1 John 3, 4, and it says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, oftentimes when you tell a congregation that, no one is moved. It's like they're inanimate. It doesn't move them, right? And one thing I learned about sin is that to make it just, I guess, more meaningful to each and every one of us, that for me, it's more than just transgressing God's law. And the, the, the reason why I say that is because when you look at the law of God in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, does anyone know how it begins? It says, and the Lord God spoke, right? All these words saying, then he goes through all the Ten Commandments, right? So God spoke it. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when, when God spoke the commandments, but he also wrote it with his finger, Exodus 31, 18 tells us that. When God spoke the commandments, he was actually giving his... Okay, I'll start that again. So the Ten Commandments, it begins in Exodus 20, verse 1, and the Lord God spoke all these words saying, he spoke, Right? In the gospel, Jesus talks about how out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why if you've ever been on like a, you know, a construction site and they always swearing, it's just the indication of their heart. Do you understand? And so out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And, you know, the Bible tells us that, you know, we do have a a deceitful heart. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And that's why, you know, whenever I look at the story of David, sorry, I'm digressing. When when you look at the story of David, you know, when he sinned with his eyes and then eventually it it came out through his action. Remember what he said in Psalm 51, 10? He said, create in me a clean heart. But for me, that doesn't make sense because he sinned with his eyes, Right? It would have made more sense creating me clean eyes. Yeah? It would have made more sense to me. But David said creating me a clean heart because he knew that it wasn't his eyes that was the problem. It was his heart. And so that's why whenever you hear someone pray, Lord, give me a clean heart. Give me a pure heart because out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaks. And so with the law of God, when the Bible says in Exodus 20 verse 1 that the Lord spoke all these words and how Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that when he gave his law, he was giving his heart. Very good. And so when you sin or when you fall, you are not just breaking the law of God, you're breaking God's heart. And so when you look at the law of God that way, I find it's more meaningful. You, you think about the person that you love the most. It may be your wife. It may be your children. It may be, I don't know what it may be. But you, the thing you love the most, 
the, or the person you love the most, and if you broke their heart, how would you feel? You would feel quite upset, right? Now you take that same kind of degree of, of love and, and feeling, and you say, look, when, when you transgress God's law, you break his heart. And so Jesus in John chapter 8, when he says that you shall die in your sins, he was indicating that for the Jews, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the one because Jesus says, I am. In the Greek, ego aimi. It refers back to Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, where when Moses was called to the burning bush, and eventually when he told God, you know, what name shall I give to your people? Because in Egypt, they worship so many gods. And so God says, say, I am that I am. In Hebrew, it's eheyeh, eheyeh, Okay? And so that's what, that's, what, that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Ego aimi, I am. He was referring back to this self existent God in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. And so one of the ways in which we can die is we can die how? In our sins. Second one. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and we'll read verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 and reading from verse 24. Okay, when you get there you can say Amen. Okay, First Peter chapter 2, and, and in the context here, uh, Peter is talking about when Jesus, when he, was, uh, when he suffered, that he left you and I an example, that we should follow his steps. And it talks about how, you know, when he was reviled, he did not revile again. You know, that's so hard to do, you know, when somebody is just reviling you and persecuting you, all you want to do is just kind of persecute them back. But Jesus, when he was reviled... He did not revile again. You find that he says here that he, he did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. But notice verse 24. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to what? Dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. You know, I, I always found that verse so interesting because it's quoting from Isaiah 53 that we can find healing in his stripes. I meet so many people and you will probably meet them as well, that though on the outside, there's a facade, you know, they may wear a suit, a tie, they look good, but deep down inside, broken. Very hurting people. And it amazes me that we can actually find healing in our wounds. That you can find healing in your wounds. That's, it's, it's, it's a crazy thought because you're like, you know, if you have wounds, that means you're hurt, but you can actually find healing in them. And I actually met a guy when I, um, when I, I, I traveled interstate. He was a young man. Um, he actually went through divorce. A uh, very young man. And he, he, he showed me marks on his body, scars, where he tried to kill himself. Um, and once again, same like this man. He said, I don't know why I'm still alive. Um, and I find that many times when we go through pain, the, the way we respond is... Give myself more pain. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like, so you, 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 you're hurting, and what you do is you try to medicate that hurt with more pain by cutting yourself, or, you know, some people may resort to, like, alcohol and smoking and other things, but the way you respond to it is so important. And this man was still living because, you know what? His hour had not yet come. And each of us here are like living miracles. Some of us should be dead right now. Some of us should be six feet under, but it's because your hour has not yet come. And so when you go through the Bible, you find that you can either die in your sin or you can die to sin. 
But then the last one is only one which Jesus can do. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read verse 3. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and reading verse 3. Notice Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. Amen. Thank you. Uh, we have more beauties in the house today. Amen. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is uh, speaking to the church in Corinth, and as he's speaking to the church in Corinth, he kind of elaborates on the gospel, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and notice in verse 3, it says that, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, uh, according to the scriptures. So notice there's these three ways, you have those who die in sin, then those who die to sin, and then only Jesus who can die for sin. Now, when you look at Calvary, the hill of Golgotha, there was three crosses, yes? You had one cross with the criminal who was unrepentant. You had the other cross with the criminal who was repentant. And then you had Jesus in the middle. The unrepentant sinner, he died in his sin. The criminal who repented, he died to sin. Jesus was the only one who could die for sin, okay? So we've learned so far that there's a time to die, there's a time to be born. But also the Bible teaches us that we can either die in sin, we can die to sin, but only Jesus can die for your sin. But the thing is this, is that if we don't die to sin, we'll eventually die for it, yeah? Because the wages of sin is, is death. Now, has has anyone ever worked before? They work very laboriously, very hard, and then the employer says, you know what, we're not going to pay you. We're not going to pay you this week. Now, how would you feel? Very sad, yeah? Because you put in all this effort, all this time, and then your employer comes back to you and says, we're not paying you this week. And so you just, oh, maybe the employer's playing a trick on me. Let, let me just continue to work, and you continue to work. And then the next week, you come back to the employer and says, um, we're not going to pay you for this week as well. You get pretty frustrated, right? Now, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and it's the first time ever, if, if I told you, would you, would you like that wage? No one would say yes. Yeah? Because you know what? That's a wage that we don't want. Yeah? But we work for it. Yeah? Because the wages of sin is death. But then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so one you actually work for, the other you don't. You just accept. And so we've learned so far, there's a time to be born, time to die. You can die in sin, you can die to sin, but you cannot die for sin. Okay. Question now, is it possible to know actually when you will die? What do you think? No? Okay. Tell me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. <laughs> okay. you see, I heard a resounding no. Okay, let's see what the Bible says. Okay, it's, 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 it's it, okay, yeah. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul is writing to young Timothy. And as he writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> and when you get there, you can say amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Okay, amen. And we'll read from verse 1. <clears throat> Notice what Paul says. He says, I charge, you, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing. So notice Paul, he believed in the second coming of Jesus. And then he says, preach the what? Preach the word. 
Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But he says, but watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. And notice in verse 6, what Paul says, he says, for I am now what? ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So when he refers to time of departure, is he referring, you know, departing from Sydney to Fiji or that type of departure? What type of departure is he referring to? His death. So did Paul actually know when he was going to die? According to the verse. Yes, because it says, I am now ready to be offered. If you look at the Greek there, and it says that in, in the New King James as well, it talks about being poured out. It was a drink offering. That the drink offering was often associated with the sacrifices as well. But you know, in the in the Roman in the Roman mind, usually when they ate food, at the end of their, their, their meal, they would have they would have this sacrificial ritual. And the sacrificial ritual is they put wine in this cup and they just pour it out to the gods. That's what the Romans did. And so Paul is like, look, I finished my meal. It's coming to an end, and I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It also it carries on this concept of, because when the, the, the wine was poured in, it, everything was poured out. And so what Paul was saying was, I'm giving my life completely without reservation to God. And I believe that type of spirit is what is needed in our churches still today. Amen. Because oftentimes when we, we get elected for certain roles, many times we do it half-heartedly. There is no complete reservation you know but Paul he says look I poured out my life as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand but then he goes on to say I have fought a good fight I have kept the faith indeed I have uh, I finished my course I have kept the faith and so is it possible to know when you will die okay yeah for, for, for some people it is but then I know for for some it isn't I I actually have a friend from college who actually experienced yeah it's a sad story. He actually died in his sleep. His wife woke up one morning. He died in his sleep. And he left six of his children. And it was a sad story. But he didn't know that he was going to die. And it's a sad thing because it's very solemn because, you know, each and every one of us, like I said, though we are Christians, we will have to meet with this reality that one day we shall die. But like I said... Will we die in our sin or will we die to sin? And so you find here with Paul, and you find that in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says the secret things belong unto the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. And so you find that Paul, he knew that he died. You know, there's, there's, there's biblical examples of that as well. You find, remember King Hezekiah, when King Sennacherib was going to, besieging the city, and he was inside and eventually he was inflicted with some kind of sickness. And Isaiah was told to come to him and tell him the Lord gave a message. And the Lord's message was, and it's, it, 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 when I read that story, it, it, like Isaiah had to be pretty bold to go to a king and tell him, look, set your house in order, you will die. But then eventually when he prayed, he prayed the Lord extended his life. How long? 15 years. Very good Bible students. And so... Hezekiah knew that he would live for extra 15 years. It's similar if, if you, you are inflicted with a sickness today and the prognosis from the doctor is you're going to have this amount of, of years left or this amount of months left. It, it can really shake you. 
Um, but you know, there, there are many of us who actually been told this by doctors and I, I've learned that, you know, whatever the doctor says, if it's not a part of God's timetable, you will still live. Amen? Amen. And so, and so when, I, when we go through this, I just, I wanted to talk about this because, you know, each and every one of us will eventually meet this one day. But you know what? We can be like Paul and though we, we are faced with death, that we can still look in the face of death and say, just like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 58, where he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the Lord. But then he says in verse 57, But thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we can look, you know, at death in the face and we say, you know, you can't move me. <laughs> Unmoved. Because we know, thanks be to God, that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. Okay, how are you going? Okay. I'm, I'm the only one sweating. You're not sweating. So I haven't worked you up very much. Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I, I see the time is getting away from me. I just wanted to share a few more things. Our title is, His Hour Had Not Yet Come. I just want to share a story of this, uh, a mission trip which I went to, and then I'll end on, um, I just I, I want to end on Jesus, is that when I was in uh, college, I, um, my friend, he invited me to a mission trip. Um, and when he invited me to a mission trip, you know, if you're in college and you're a uni student, you know, you don't have that much money, right? And so, you know, he told me, like, you know, would you like to come on a mission trip? And I said, bro, I don't have any money. And, you know, it's amazing that whenever, you know, God calls you to something, all his biddings are his enablings. He always provides. It's crazy. Even when I went to South Australia, I was like, there are people there who've been waiting months to find accommodation. On the very morning that I get there, I get a call that... A house just opened up behind one of the churches, um, the, the people who go to the church, the house they opened up and I was like, Lord, why do I keep worrying? <laughs> you got me in the palm of your hands. You know, God always provides. And that's not my job, right? That's not my job. <laughs> and so um, and when I got called to this mission trip, I, I said I didn't have any money. God provided the money. Didn't have to work at all. It's crazy. God just provided the money. And so eventually we, we, we went to Malaysia. Um, and out of all places, I should have went to, you know, the, those people who give you like a background to the, to the country and et cetera. But um, when we got there, um, when we got off the plane at night in Malaysia, in Borneo, uh, it was 39 degrees, hey, at night. And I was like, man, I chose the wrong place to go to a mission trip. <laughs> but, um, you know, God called me to go there with him. And we went there because we were going to, um, to teach these, these, these kids um, how to do devotions. Very, uh, it's a, a predominantly Muslim country. Um, and so, you know, we got placed into this room. And, you know, he's me, you know, oh, going on a mission trip. And then God places you in circumstances where you're like, man, why did I come? And we got put into this room, right? And this fan was just going on and on. It's like a freight train. I don't know if you've ever slept with someone in a, a room before and they're a freight train. <laughs> snoring, snoring, you know. Um, this, this fan was just going on and on and on. And I, was, I couldn't sleep that night. Um, but we, we were able to go to various places in Malaysia. It was so fun. Um, but the thing is, um, there in Malaysia, um, evangelism isn't, um, what's it called? It's, it, in a sense, it's kind of forbidden. And it's, you, you don't do much of it because it is a predominantly Muslim country. The, one of the churches that we went to, um, they actually told us a story of what happened was that um, 
that they, the, their pastors, they were actually taken, uh, abducted uh, uh, during daylight, and um, they were killed, and eventually they brought the blood to the church and splattered all over the church, just as a, like an indicator, don't do any evangelism. So we went there, and we, that's why we were going to teach these children, like, like Waldensian style, out in the, out in the country, um, how to do devotions, and it was, it was crazy, because even while we were there, um, some of the children, they actually still went out and they were selling Ellen White books and, and, and health books um, in that community. And I was like, wow, these kids, they just completely and reservedly give their lives to the Lord. They just, we will pray and we'll go. And um, it, it was such a, a real blessing to me because um, even though, you know, there were some things that I, like, it was unbeknownst to me because when I, when I spoke with my friend, you know, we often want to have all the details. I said, man, is there going to be a laundry, laundry powder, etc." You know, eventually when we got there, he, you know, he said, the laundry's over there. And I look and there's a bucket. And I was like, that's not a laundry machine. <laughs> and so, uh, like, you know, I, it, was, it was really just training me to, to think more mission-minded, you know, to be a missionary. You know, you have, to, you have to go through many of these sacrifices that we often have in the first world country or second world country but um yeah i was placed in this tent right and in this tent um there was an ex-muslim in the tent and there was an ex-pentecostal and an ex-amish in my tent <laughs> and they all became adults and they started to share with me some of their stories this this, this amish guy um be- yeah he his father was actually at a telephone booth and he, he saw a book uh, about the Sunday law. And so he, he read the book, and eventually he's he like, man, I'm keeping the wrong day. And eventually he, he found a, a Sabbath-keeping church, and he went to the Sabbath-keeping church, and he got up, and they were having testimonies during the week. And so um, he gave up, he got up, and he told his testimony how he found his book at the telephone booth, and the same person in the congregation got up and said, I'm the one who put that, that book there. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, so he, that's how his family eventually became Adventist. Now, the, the ex-Muslim, this, this was interesting because when we got to Malaysia, um, there was a man there by the name of Moses. He transported us around Malaysia. Um, and uh, is that bell meaning I'm almost finished? <laughs> okay, okay. No, okay, okay. So what happened was um, this, uh, this man who was taking us around, he was just transporting, you know, they would transport missionaries and Bible workers and pastors around Malaysia. Um, and... He actually, that wasn't his real name. He had a, a previous Muslim name. And so this, his son was in my tent. And so he began to share with me how his father came to, to the faith. It was so interesting. He, he said that um, one day, and if you're Pathfinders, adventurers, listen carefully. This is for you. Uh, is that, that the Pathfinders had a, a, like, a, like a service at church. And so they encouraged all their children to pray for a friend at school that they can invite to church and so they prayed and eventually the kids went to their their friends at school and invited them to come to a pathfinder service that they ran and so this young man received the invitation from his friend and they came to church but the father was so adamant he didn't want to do anything with christianity he stayed home but the mother took the children to church and so the mother took the children to church they came back and every week they just started coming back to church and the father, he noticed there was a difference with the wife. He said, the wife doesn't get impatient anymore. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like, man, what is wrong with this woman? And so they go back to church, come back, and he started to see you know, changes in his children as well. And he was like, man, 
who is this God is doing this to my children and my wife? And so eventually they all started, he started coming to church and eventually they all made a decision for, to, to get baptized and that's how he got baptized into the church. Um, and it, it was a real challenge for me because it's like oftentimes when we think of our young people or our children, it's like, oh man, we'll just, you know, teach them, you know, knots in our pathfinders, which is great, you know, you know, let's, let's learn the, you know, hug. But, you know, the, the purpose of Pathfinders is not just to have those, create those memories, which are great. I believe that the purpose of Pathfinders is also to invite your friends to Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to tell people I didn't do Pathfinders when I was young because I was still finding the path. But, um, you know, I didn't do adventures because I was still adventuring. But, you know, God, you know, he, he brings you to a point where you're no longer a pathfinder, but you're a path founder. And you found the path and you invite others to the path. Amen? And so um, that's what this young man. And so the reason why I'm telling this story is at that camp, it was so crazy. It was the first time that ever happened. And uh, we, the, the, the boys, they decided to go up. The, the mountain, we went through all these waterfalls to get to the, the highest waterfall, which is at least 30 meters high. And when we got there, we were just, one of the kids, one of the guys, he actually, he had Air Force Ones on. I don't know if young people, you have Air Force Ones? And so he was like, every, like all the way up the mountain, he was trying not to get his Air Force Ones dirty. And I was like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and when we get to the very top, he, he, his Air Force One fell into the water, and he's like, ah, oh, stop this. And so he just threw away his Air Force Ones, and he just started to get all dirty and, and wet. Um, but yes, yeah, so, some of the, you know, um, in our culture, we, we call um, the white man, we call them balangi, okay? So if you're around islanders and they say balangi, just antennas go up, you know, they're talking about you, okay? So um, uh, there was these pathways, you know, that, that were created to, to go along the pathway, and um, the Balangi decided to go up the waterfall. And I was like, this is the first time I'm being a Balangi and they're being an islander. You know, they go up the waterfall. And so one of the boys, he goes up the waterfall and this massive rock falls down and hits his head. It's like, and they actually took a picture of the rock and he didn't have any blood on his head because his hour had not yet come. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> it's so silly. He went up that way anyways. But yeah, eventually when we came back down... Um, there's this long ledge and then there's a 30 meter drop and only one person could go down the rope. So I go down all the way down the rope and one of the boys, he let go of the rope and he fell on this big rock. And I don't know if you've heard of sticks break. It's like, and he falls on the rock. And when he falls on the rock, I looked up because I was at the bottom holding the rope and I said, are you okay? Very stupid question. He fell on the rock. He's on the, he's on the rock. He, he fell off the rope. So I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. And all of a sudden, the, the, the stick started to break more. And he started to fall 30 meters. Now, my Balangi friend, he's in the waterfall, right? He's in the waterfall going down that way. And I'm, I'm holding onto the rope. And I didn't even think. I just jumped. And as I jumped... He eventually fell on my toe. It had a blood, blood in my, my toe, but eventually um, he, he gushed his head. And, you know, boys, you know, they, they don't show any signs of weakness, right? So he gets up, right? And he has this big gush on his head. And I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, man, I'm fine. I said, bro, there's blood gushing from your head. You're not okay. It's because his hour had not yet come. <laughs> And then the last thing, this is probably the, the baddest mission story, right? About, you know, first time doing camp. If you get invited to go to, to mission trip, I, I encourage you to go. You have all these experiences. It's amazing. And so the, the boys decided to, uh, after that, the boys started to swim in the lake. And it was, it, was, it was very murky. You can't see. And one of the counselor boys, he actually drowned. And he was underneath the water. We were trying to find him for five minutes. 
Eventually, when we brought him out, you know, one of the boys was going to do CPR, and then just about they would put the mouth on the mouth, and then he just woke up. And I was like, wow, don't have to do CPR. <laughs> and so um, he, he woke up from being underwater for five minutes. It was crazy. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Okay? And so I, I share those stories with you because it's just it's amazing how, you know, God, he provides. But when you're doing God's work as well, he takes care of you. Um, and so I just want to end on this thought as I finish. There are many other things which I wanted to go through, but um, ultimately, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 17, that I, if you've ever been to a funeral, you often hear these words said, where they say, it was so-and-so's time. Have you ever heard that before? It was so-and-so's time. Now, in the Bible, sometimes that's correct. Sometimes it isn't. And the reason why is because in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 17, it says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish, for why should you die before your time? So it's possible to actually die before your time. When you, you put things into your body that shouldn't be there, it's possible to die before your time. Um, but what I want to end on is this, is that when you look at the life of Christ, you find that there were times where Jesus was... In like he was between a rock and a hard place. You know, they, they tried to persecute him. You turn with me to John chapter 8. This will be the last kind of thought and then I'll finish. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, we'll read verse 58 and 59. John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59. Okay, when you get there, you can say amen. amen. John 8, verse 58 and 59. And notice the Bible says there, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily. Oh man, I have to touch on this. Sorry. Okay, verily, verily. Does anyone know what that word is in the Greek? Okay. Whenever you see verily, verily, or verily, just one of them, it's the word amen. Okay? In the Greek, it's, uh, to pronounce it more correctly, it's amen. Amen. I know there's some Greek people in the audience who so have to correct pronunciation. Okay, amen. But in the Hebrew, it's amen. Okay, now, oh, okay, let me just, just touch on this and then I'll finish. Um, is that for the Hebrews, you know, many of them, they were uh, nomads. They were, uh, they grew up in an agrarian culture. You know, they, they get food from the, the, the farm, from the land. You know, they didn't have Woolworths or Kmart like we do. But you find that they were nomads where they traveled constantly and they would have cattle and the cattle would eat the grass or whatever that was there and then they would move. And as they moved, they also brought their tents, yeah? And they brought their tents, and usually um, pathfinders and adventurers, when you're going to construct your tent, um, you have the poles and you have the, the ropes. Uh, where do you place your tent, Ethan? Okay, away from the fire, definitely away from the fire. Okay, kids, where do you place your tent? Yes, Micah. Somewhere safe, very good, but what, what, what is the ground? What is the ground? Is it, yes. It's flat? Okay, the ground is flat. Uh, Michael? Nothing? Wow, you're a very good pathfinder. You did a great job. <laughs> but uh, the, the answer which I'm trying to get to is um, you find solid ground, yeah? You don't go and, you know, place your tent in, in a ground that is very um, shifty. Oh, what, is that a word? Wow, I made up my own word, shifty, okay. <laughs> but you find a, a ground that is solid, right? So usually when the, 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 the Hebrew boy would come to their father, and by the way, the word amen, it, um, the root word for believe, faith, trust in the Old Testament, it comes from this, 
this word, amen, okay? So usually when the, the Hebrew child will come to their parents and, and, and ask their parents to teach them about faith, you know, many times we go into this big abstract, big idea and they kind of lose it. So what the parents would do was to teach their children about faith or amen, what they would do is they'll get the stake, they'll find solid ground, and then they find the solid ground, place my tent there, okay? Now remember the tent wasn't just their tent, it was their life. It was their livelihood. And so when they taught their children about faith or about amen, they'll get a solid ground, find solid ground, and pitch their tent there. What they were saying was, this is something which I'm going to pitch my life on. Okay? And so whenever you say amen, it's like, this truth, I'm going to pitch my life on this truth. Amen. Amen. And, and so you find that in the book of, in the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the synoptic Gospels. They see things very similarly. But in the book of John, it's very unique to John, is that you only find John, he always says, verily, verily. Amen, amen. What he's going to say is, whatever comes after this amen, amen, you can pitch your life on it. Amen? amen? <laughs> and so whenever you see verily, verily, you only find that in the book of John. You don't find verily, verily in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. They only say verily once. But in the book of John, he always says, verily, verily. So, amen, amen. So that's why when you read like John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, verily, verily, a man, except he is born again, cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, you can piss your life on this. Okay? And so when you're reading John chapter 8, verse 58, it says, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, you can pitch your life on this. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And then in verse 59, he says, then took they up stones. Remember, Jesus was, Jesus was teaching in the temple, yeah? Um, it's interesting that they found stones in the temple. It's like they came with, you know, stones in their bags. You know, it's hard to find, you know, stones in the temple unless the temple was still being reconstructed at this time. But they, they, they picked up stones, and the Bible says here, but Jesus, he hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, whenever I read that, I often wonder, how in the world was Jesus able to get past or through people who have stones in their hand? How do you do that? Okay, so uh, he was invincible. Okay, okay. If, if you go to John, John chapter 10, notice this saying, I'm going to come back to you what you said. In John chapter 10, I'm finishing up. John chapter 10, you notice in verse uh, 30, Jesus once again, he claims divinity. He says, I and my father are one. And eventually when you go down to John chapter 10 and we'll read verse 39. Notice again, John chapter 10 verse 39. It says, when you get there, say amen. John 10 39. It says, therefore they sought again. So notice again, they tried to seize Jesus to get him, but it says, but he escaped out of their hand. And when I read these two verses, it made me wonder how in the world was Jesus able to escape from their hand. How was he able to get through a congregation which had stones to stone him? Yes. Amen. John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Thank you. Thank you. She's still my thunder. Okay. John chapter 7. John 7 and, and I'll show you from the Bible. John chapter 7. Notice verse 30. John chapter 7 verse 30. And this is where I'm coming to the crux of my message and I'm finishing. John chapter 10, notice verse 30. This was the reason why Jesus was not able to die before his time was because in John chapter 10, verse 30, notice again, therefore they sought to take him, 
but no one laid hands on him. Now, when it says no one laid hands on me, was it referring to ordination? Was it referring to commission? No, it was referring to them trying to kill him, yeah? No one laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you find this, this statement coming over and over again in the book of John, is that Jesus, he could not die before his time. He could if he was not in the will of God, yeah? But everything he did... He was in the center of God's will. And when you're in the center of God's will, that's the best place to be. But when you are, that means you cannot die before your time. When you look at the life of Jesus, I'm just going to yeah, close up now. In Galatians 4.4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law. Jesus, he was born on time. Throughout his life, Eventually, when he died in AD 31, when you connect that with Daniel 9, the 70-week prophecy, Jesus, he had to die on time. Turn with me to John 19. Let me quickly show you this. So Jesus was born on time. Jesus, he died on time. And in John chapter 19, John chapter 19, and we'll read verse 30 and 31. John chapter 19, verse 30 and 31. Okay, John chapter 19, verse 30 and 31. Amen. Amen. Okay, in John chapter 19, verse 30 and 31, notice the Bible says here, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. And then verse 31, notice it says, The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, which is Friday, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the what? The Sabbath day, but then it says, for that Sabbath day was a what? A high day. And then eventually finishes off by saying the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be not be taken away. Now, question, have you ever been to church on Sabbath and then someone said, oh, today is going to be a high Sabbath, brother. It's going to be a high Sabbath. And you tell, what in the world does that mean? And they're like, oh, we're gonna have, we have special items from this group. And we have this powerful preaching from this brother. And then you know how the praise and worship, it's going to be a high Sabbath. Have you ever heard that before? Okay. Yeah, I haven't been to the churches I have been to. <laughs> okay. So usually, usually when you go to churches and they say that, usually they indicate, you know, the praise and worship and, you know, the, the, the great music and the great preaching. But according to the Bible, a high Sabbath was not that. A high Sabbath was when the Sabbath day, the seventh day, it fell on the same day as a feast day. Okay? So... Just very briefly, there are seven feast days. They're also known as Sabbaths in the Bible. In Leviticus 23, you take your time to go through them. But I'm just going to go through them, and then I'm going to finish, okay? The seven feast days in their order, it begins with Passover. And then the second one, unleavened bread. The third one, first fruits. The fourth one, Pentecost. The fifth one, uh, Feast of Trumpets. Sixth, Day of Atonement. Seventh, Tabernacles. Follow me. Now, when we look at the feast days, I'm not saying to you to go and sacrifice animals again. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can learn a significance that's very significant for Christians is because the Passover, the 14th day of Nisan, it fell on the same day Jesus died. And that's why it was a high Sabbath. Okay? The very next day was unleavened bread when Jesus was in the tomb. The next day, the feast of first fruits when Jesus resurrected from the dead. He was the first fruits, okay? And then the Bible talks about how Jesus appeared to the disciples. How long did he appear to them for? Acts chapter 1 verse 3, 40 days. 
and then he ascended into heaven, yes? And then we get this concept of the 10 days of prayer from that because Pentecost, the meaning of Pentecost is 50th. So Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. The disciples, they spent 10 days of prayer, confessing their faults one to another, uh, saying, look, Peter, I'm sorry for doing this to you and talking, you know, being greater. I wanted to be greater than you in the kingdom. And they confessed their faults one to another. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 50th day, Holy Spirit poured out. And then you come to the Day of Trumpets, which is during the time of the Great Advent Movement. And then eventually we are living in the anti-typical Day of Atonement. Yes? And after the Day of Atonement is the Feast of Tabernacles. We get to dwell with God. You see, God, He was born, Jesus, born on time. He died on time. He ascended to heaven on time. He moved in the, into the most holy place on time. Jesus is going to come back on time. And so when you read the Bible and when you see that these places where Jesus should have died, it's because his hour had not yet come. And each and every one of us, we will have to meet this reality as well. And if a doctor says something and you're still alive today, I just want to let you know it's because your hour had not yet come. Amen. And I want to end on this verse as we finish. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and then we'll finish. I know I've been saying that over and over again, but now I'm being serious. I'm going to finish. <laughs> Okay, we're going to finish now. We're going to finish now. I'm being serious. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4. And notice Paul, he's coming to the end of his life. And Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8, as we finish. Amen. Amen. Okay. And the Bible says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And then notice verse 8. He says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, but not to me only, but unto all those also that love his appearing. So notice Paul here. He says, there is a crown that awaits not just me, but even those who love his appearing. And you know that word in the Greek in crown? It's not diadem. You know, this beautiful crown, nice time there. It's, it's, it's the victory crown which they would get when they finish the race. And the Greek word for that is Stephanos. And you know, Paul, remember he was this young man who watched Stephen being stoned, Stephanos. And I can imagine Paul, when he gets to the new kingdom, <laughs> when Jesus comes... You know, he receives this pat on his back and he says, excuse me, sir. And he looks behind him. Stephen, Stephen. And Stephen's asking, what are you doing here? You watch me being stuck. And, 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 and I believe Paul, you're he, he like, man, Stephen, because your faithfulness in death and my experience, which I had with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that I was able to come to the end of my life. And I was able to say, you know what? I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. It's because you were faithful even in death. And so friends, each and every one of us, when we come to the end of our lives, may we say the same thing. But the thing is this, that there is a crown that is awaiting you and I. And that, you know what, this world is temporary, it's transient, it's transitory. Um, we are not, you know, building our treasures here on earth, but our heart is in heaven. Our mind is in heaven. And so I want to keep this, uh, to keep this at the forefront of our mind, that there is a crown that is awaiting you. And, and Jesus, he's made everything so 
calculated that, you know, there would be a void in his heart if you weren't there. And so this morning, you know, I pray that you may accept Jesus into your life, that you may know that he has done everything to ensure that you and I will be there. And may we say today that, Lord, I want to accept you into my heart. Amen. Amen. And so as I finish, I just want to pray with you as I finish, and then I'll invite the musicians to come up to the front. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are God who is always on time. We thank you, Father, that as we survey the life of Christ, we know that there were times when he was in difficult situations where he could have died, but because his hour had not yet come, he was still able to do what you had called him to do. And Father, we know that as we come to the end of our lives, may we say just like Jesus in John 17, 4, that I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is coming soon. And we thank you that he will come on time. And we just pray that you may prepare our hearts to meet him when he comes. And Father, if there is anything between us and Jesus, may you give us the strength, may you give us the willpower, Father, to choose Jesus this day. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. We leave our life in your hands, and we thank you that you have heard our prayer. For we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and most holy name. Amen. This message was made available by the Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, 3AM Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let's listen to William Ackland as he reads a portion of Psalm 119 from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Shower your blessings on your servant, that I may live in harmony with your word. Take the mist from my eyes that I may see marvellous things from your law. I am just a sojourner on the earth, so I need your commandments to guide me. The passion of my soul is to know your judgments all the time. You discipline the proud, the cursed, those who turn away from your commandments. Lift the shame of opprobrium and scorn from us, for I have purposed to keep your testimonies. Princes sit and pass judgment on me, but my strength is found in your statutes. Your testimonies buoy me up. They counsel me to live truly for you. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.